on, somebody put your hands together and lift him up tonight. Come on, lift him up this morning all over this sanctuary. Woo! One writer said he's high and lifted up. And his train fills the temple. Amen, amen. You can be seated again just for a couple of moments. I did forget to mention that when you give your pledge to Impact, if you would just help us put it in an envelope and just mark Impact on it. And that way the office will know how to appropriate those funds. We greatly appreciate that this morning. And uh, we're so thankful and excited about what the Lord is doing. Amen. And I want to say what a privilege it is to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord with us today. Would you help me put your hands together one more time and welcome all of our guests that are in the house of the Lord today. Amen. We are so excited uh, that you joined us to worship this morning. What a privilege and honor it is to have you here. And uh, the Lord is doing some great and mighty things. I was uh, mentioned that I was out of state this past week preaching a camp meeting. And uh, this today, this morning, will be the 12th church service I have been in since last Sunday. Tonight will be the 13th church service. And uh, I will have preached, I think, seven or eight times since last Sunday. And... Uh, but that's just what we do. Amen. When you're a preacher, you preach. <laughs> and uh, there's no place in the world that I'd rather be behind the pulpit than right here at home with God's greatest people on this planet, the Rock Church of Fort Myers. And um, this past week on Thursday morning at our campus in Port-au-Prince, Mackinson was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of his sins. And then Thursday evening of last week right here, Bruce was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. He's in the house of the Lord with us this morning. And not only that, it's Bruce's birthday today. He's 58. What a great birthday week. To be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's give God a praise for that this morning. Come on. Amen. Welcome to the family of God, Brother Bruce. And uh, we love you and looking forward to what God is doing in your life. And then Friday night at our Port-au-Prince campus, Elizondo was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins. How many of you thank God for that? And uh, so we're so excited about what the Lord is doing uh, all over the country and right here in Fort Myers, Florida. Stand with me if you would. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord this morning. The book of Proverbs chapter 14 is where you will find my assignment for today. Proverbs uh, chapter 14. Amen. verse, one verse of scripture this morning I want to read. I um, <clears throat> flew in yesterday afternoon and was here at the church yesterday evening for a couple of ministry events. 
And when I got home last night, um, I felt like the Lord just dropped a phrase into my spirit that just kept repeating itself over and over. And um, I have learned over time to recognize when, when the Lord is, is trying to speak to me. And uh, how many of you know God is often speaking, and the question is always whether or not we're listening? Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. That indicates that not everybody that has the ability to hear is listening. Amen. And I uh, felt like the Lord spoke to me concerning this service this morning. And so you will find my assignment, one verse of Scripture here in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12. <clears throat> It simply says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. One transliteration says it like this. There is a road that seems right for a man to travel. But in the end, it is the road of death. For a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach about the end of the road. The end of of the road. Can we put our Bibles down and clap our hands unto the Lord one more time all over this sanctuary? Come on, let's give God a great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The book of Proverbs is a book that is considered to be the book of wisdom. Credit is and authorship is recognized by most theologians to be primarily that of King Solomon. And if you will remember, there was a time when King Solomon was praying and the Lord said, whatever you pray, I will give it unto you. Solomon did not pray for riches. Solomon did not pray for power. Solomon did not pray for stuff. But instead, Solomon asked for wisdom. And the Lord granted Solomon so much wisdom that he was hailed throughout the country and really across world history as the wisest man who ever lived. Because when God gives you something, it will supersede anything you could attain from the world or from your own hands. And so it is that as Solomon begins to write in these Proverbs, it would behoove us to realize that there is a particular level of potency concerning the scriptures in the book of Proverbs. What you are reading in the book of Proverbs is not what the Bible calls the wisdom of man. Uh, 
This is not somebody who just through experience and study and education is attempting to convey to us the application of information. But this is a man who is imparting unto us wisdom that is from above. This is wisdom that doesn't come from mankind, but wisdom that comes from God. This is wisdom that supersedes the intellect of mankind and supersedes the intelligence of, of any human being. This is wisdom that comes from above. And so in reading the book of Proverbs, oftentimes in just one verse of Scripture, there is a, a multiple layered revelation of wisdom that you just may not find the concentration of in other parts of the scripture. Such is the case with our text this morning. Proverbs chapter 14. The writer begins by saying that there is a road. He did not say there is the road. He said there is a road. Indicative to us. That there is more than just one road. And he is not describing unto us all of the roads. Apparently in the text there are other options. There are other roads. And uh, for the traveler in his destination, there are many options and roads in which he can take. Uh, but the writer is very careful to let us know that he wants to impart to us some wisdom uh, concerning one uh, of those roads. Uh, there is uh, a road. There's not just one road, but you've got roads uh, that you can choose from. How many of you understand uh, that in the road of life we have choices? If you live long enough, uh, you will find that life has a way of having branching roadways uh, and choices that are presented in front of us that we have to make decisions concerning those roads in which direction that we want to go. And all roads uh, do not lead to the same place. Uh, some of them have particular caveats and they will take you out of the way and some of them uh, will take you the wrong way and uh, you ever traveled down the road and saw a sign and you started to turn into the road and it said wrong way uh, or it said one way or no U-turn and so roads oftentimes have unpredictable endings and, uh, and, and so it is imperative that we understand this morning uh, the importance uh, of the choices we make uh, concerning the roads uh, that we take. Choice is something given to us by God in order to authenticate uh, our love for him. Oh, choices sometimes can be tough. We, we oftentimes in counseling people, I, I find that people struggle with the idea of choice. Sometimes people will come and say, uh, Bishop, just, just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. It would be so much easier if you just, just tell me and I'll do it because there is a fear of making the wrong choice. 
There is a fear that what, what, if, I, what if I do the wrong thing? What if I take the wrong road? What if I, uh, there, there's consequences. And so we, we become intimidated oftentimes uh, by choices. It's like going to a good restaurant. Sometimes it'd be so much easier if they just had three things to choose from. But you go into a restaurant that's got a humongous menu and you say, my goodness, I don't even know what to get. Because there are consequences to my choices. What if I choose something and I get it and I don't like it and I already ate some of it and, uh, and I spent the money and then I got to pay for something and I, then I'm still hungry and I got to buy enough. Then I got to stop at McDonald's after I just left the steakhouse and then consequences to the choices and so we, we don't like choices but it is only through the avenue of choice uh, that God can test uh, and authenticate uh, our relationship with him. Oh, yeah, that's why Adam and Eve had a choice in the garden. Uh, he could have created them to never want to sin, to never have the thought or the availability or the temptation to disobey, but that would not have proved uh, their love to him. The fact that we make the choice uh, is what tells God we love him. Uh, I, I want to do this, uh, but instead I'm going to do that. Uh, I want to go here, uh, but instead I'm going to stay there uh, because of him. And uh, I want to go left, uh, but I know God's way is to go right. Uh, and the fact that we can choose whatever we want, uh, and yet we make a decision every day uh, that I'm going to live uh, for God uh, is what authenticates our love uh, and our relationship with him. You can say you're a Christian all you want to, uh, but what kind of choices are you making? You can say you love God all you want to, uh, but what kind of choices are you making? Ah, uh, uh, it's getting quiet in here. And so the Bible is prominent with thematic principles concerning choices. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 19, God billows from the heavens and says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I've got two choices that you can make. I've got two roads. I'm not going to tell you which one. You don't have to do what I tell you. I'm going to present both options. Just because God opens two doors doesn't mean that either one of them could not be the wrong one. Sometimes God will open not just the right door, but he'll open the wrong one. Just as a test. Oh, God said, I give you these choices. One of them is life. And one of them is death. And while you have the choice, he goes on to try and influence the decision. And he says, therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. God pulls back the curtain and says, I'm not going to tell you which one to choose. But I will tell you that at the end of this road, there is life and there is blessing for you and your your family 
but you have to choose uh, whether or not to listen to your own desire uh, or to listen to my words uh, and my promise. Oh, I know people living their life right now. Uh, God said, if you'll do this, I'll bless you. Uh, and they've made a decision to walk the other way. Uh, and God said, come on, I'm opening a door uh, for you and your children and your family. Uh, and yet they made the decision to go the other direction. There is a road. Amongst all of the roads, amongst all of the choices, there is a particular road that Solomon said, I want you to pay attention to. Out of all the roads, there is a road. And he begins by saying, that seemeth right. When you look at all of the roads, there's going to be one road that has all of the criteria matching the road that's the right one. It's paved and it's not dirt. The gate is open and not closed. It's got shade and not exposed to the sun. It runs next to rivers of water and not into the desert place. The problem is that at this point you introduce the fallibility of human perception it seemeth right it looks to the human perception to be the proper road that we should take and the problem is that when you really begin to think about perception you are talking about our human ability to collect all of the information that we can uh, and to synthesize all of that information uh, in order to form uh, a perception about something. Uh, our seeing and our hearing and our taste uh, and our senses and our, our collection of prior experiences and all of the things that we use in order to form uh, opinions and perception. Uh, there is a road uh, that when you begin to look at it, uh, you are going to think to yourself, uh, this uh, is the right road. The problem is that human perception is not always shaped and formed by God's truth. But human perception is influenced and shaped uh, by so many other things. Over time, as your brain begins to develop, uh, you, you develop what is called uh, uh, neuropathways uh, or, or pathologies, uh, ways of thinking in your mind, and it's like a literal road. You, the more that you think a certain way, uh, it's like driving on a path back and forth. Uh, it becomes wider and wider, uh, and it becomes deeper and more pronounced the more that it is used, uh, and the more that you are predisposed to particular ways of thought and environment. Uh, there are roadways of thinking uh, that you develop in your mind. They become pathways of thought. Uh, and it is through that particular formation uh, of thought uh, that we are we process information that forms our perception. Not everybody processes information the same way. You can line up three people at an event. One person will walk away happy another person walk away sad, and another person walk away angry. 
the same experience, the same thing, but the predisposition of their mind uh, caused them to form completely different uh, perceptions uh, concerning the same event. Uh, it is to that end that we can calculate and understand uh, that the human mind and perception uh, is not infallible. Uh, it is not reliable to the point uh, that I am willing to stake my eternity uh, and my salvation uh, and the blessing of God uh, just over perception. Come on, I need to help some help in the building this morning. There are some ways of thinking. You, you, you become predisposed to particular things. For example, uh, if your father was abusive and, and, and you had uh, male role models in your life that, that hurt you and did bad things to you, then it could be that you develop a particular pathway of thinking uh, that you are predisposed uh, to being uncomfortable around men. Uh, you, you are uncomfortable with them. You don't trust them. Uh, it's not that they even did anything wrong to you, uh, but your perception of men uh, has been altered by an experience that you had. Uh, and so now you have an unreliable bias uh, towards men because uh, of something that happened to you. And it's not that all men are bad. Uh, it's that your perception and the way the human mind works uh, is that the more traumatic the experience, uh, the deeper the road of thought uh, is entrenched into your mind. Uh, and so if you're not careful and you don't understand this principle, uh, then you will live your life uh, making decisions uh, and processing information uh, completely based uh, on your own perception. Uh, the fact that I know what I saw, uh, I I know what I heard. Uh, I know what I've been through. Uh, you can't tell me any different. Uh, I know exactly what happened. And this, there is a road. Uh, there is a way uh, that seemeth uh, right unto uh, a man. But the secondary consequence of our natural mind is that the Bible says the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. Your carnal mind uh, is not submitted to the principles of God. Those neurological pathways and those roadways in your mind uh, left unto the carnal man uh, will oppose God. Uh, they will not lead you in paths of righteousness, uh, but they will lead you to sin. Uh, they will lead you to destruction. Uh, that's why you, when you come into church uh, and you receive the Holy Ghost, uh, there is a renewing uh, of your mind that happens. Uh, and the Bible said, let this mind uh, be in you uh, because the Bible Bible said to be carnally minded uh, is death. Uh, when you let your, your perception uh, be the compass by which you live, uh, it will lead you down paths uh, of destruction uh, and death. Uh, there is a road. Uh, there is a way uh, that seemeth right uh, unto a man. And so a carnal person is simply a person who allows their decisions and their thoughts to be dominated by the carnal man instead of the will of God will always be in conflict with the will of God in their life. Because you will always be predispositioned 
toward the road or the way that seemeth right. This is what looks the best. This is what would benefit me the best. This one, I could make more money. This one, I could have more freedom. And I'm not against any of these things. I'm just telling you the predisposition of our mind uh, is, is self-preservation. The predisposition of our mind is, is, is to, I don't want to get hurt. Uh, therefore, my predisposed thinking uh, is going to dictate that, I, that I'm not going to trust you. I've been hurt before by people, and so I've developed a, a neural pathway of thinking uh, that I'm just not going to make friends because life is easier that way. I've had leadership disappoint me before, and so I've got particular neural pathways in my mind uh, that, that I'm just going to go this direction, and, uh, and I don't trust anybody. Uh, I don't trust what any leader said because one time uh, there is a road and a way uh, that seemeth right uh, unto a man. And in both Scripture and society, we have a colloquialism that, that we use to describe the mind and our thoughts. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks, and as a man thinketh in his brain, no, in his heart. See, the word of the Lord uses anatomical phrases in a completely different way than we do. We use the heart as the center of emotions. I love you with all of my heart. You ever looked at the heart? <laughs> That's an ugly looking thing. But, but it's the center, heart emojis. I love you with all of my heart. But if you were in the Bible days, the heart wasn't the center of emotions. The center of the emotions was the bowels. And if you were going to be scripturally in context, you would have to say, I love you. With all of my large intestine, I love you from the depths of my colon, <laughs> bowels of mercy. <laughs> Y'all go study it when you get home. And the Bible does not refer to the brain as the center of thought. We often associate the center of thought with the brain, but the Bible associates the center of thought with the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart. The next phrase is powerful, so is he. Ooh, the manifestation of who you are comes from the process of your thinking. And when you become and the manifestation of who you are uh, is derived solely uh, out of the heart of man, then you must also realize the Bible says that the heart uh, is exceeding uh, and desperately wicked uh, above all things. Uh, and who can know it? Uh, the Bible says that thing that you use uh, to do most of your human thinking, uh, it is deceptive. Uh, it's deceptive uh, above all things. Somebody shout all things. It's deceptive beyond the voice of Satan. The biggest liar in your life is not the devil. It's your own heart. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to give me an amen this morning. But the greatest liar you'll ever meet is your own heart. 
It's deceitful, deceptively wicked, above all things. But out of the heart comes our thinking. And out of our thinking is the manifestation of who we become. And so if we allow ourselves to process the information and form our perception simply based off of the heart. I, I know it's popular because today it sounds good in love songs and in inspirational poems for people to say, follow your heart. Just follow wherever your heart takes you. That's a big lie. If you follow your heart, it will deceive you. And it will, I wish I had a church in here. It will lead you uh, down paths uh, of deception uh, and destruction. Uh, but I'm afraid there's too many Christians, uh, too many apostolics uh, that have given themselves over uh, to the ideology uh, that I'm just going to live life uh, according to my heart. Uh, whatever my heart's desires are, uh, I'm going to live it up, baby. Uh, Whatever my heart wants to do, uh, you are living a dangerous life uh, and you will die uh, a fool's death. See, you didn't know all that theology was wrapped up in there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. It seems right. Your, your heart will, will twist and, and do everything it can to tell you this is the right way. It looks right. It feels right. When I put it on paper, it, it, it adds up to be the right thing. It, it's... There's people there, I, I know, I'm, I'm talking to somebody this morning. There's, there's people welcoming you into that road. There's people telling you, come on, this, come this way. It looks inviting and, 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 and see, they're, they're showing you the beginning of the road. See how blessed we are. See how happy we are. See how free we are. Uh, see, the only problem is that's part of the deception of the road. Uh, it's not till you get to the end of it uh, that you realize it's death uh, and destruction. Uh, oh, uh, but to the carnal mind, uh, it doesn't consider the end of a thing. Uh, and so we start heading down uh, particular roads uh, because we're letting our principles uh, of our carnal man lead us uh, and guide us. Uh, Instead of saying, Lord, uh, I don't want to make this decision. Uh, I want to give you the decision. Uh, God, I want you to be king over my decisions. Uh, God, I want your word uh, to trump my counsel. Uh, God, I want your will uh, over my way. Uh, there is a way that seemeth. There's a way that seemeth. I mean... The gate's not closed. People are welcoming. Nobody told me no. I hear that one a lot. Nobody said no, so the absence of a no doesn't mean yes. We have to quit translating the absence of no as yes. 
God said, I'm setting both doors before you, and I'm not going to tell you no to either one. You better have a better system in place. So we're, we're about to get there in a minute. Than your own perception. You had better develop some principles and characters in living for God uh, that understand how to look at roads differently than the world looks at roads. Uh, I'm not looking at a road uh, based on its beginning. Uh, I'm not looking at a road based on the attraction uh, of the gate that leads to the road. Uh, but I'm basing my decisions uh, on the end of the road. Uh, where is it leading me? Uh, where is it taking me? Uh, what's the cost? Uh, what's Come on, somebody. Uh, Lord, I don't want my own way. I want your way. God, this way looks good to me. It seems good to me. But God, I understand that there is a way that seemeth right to a man, that the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But that word causes us to pause and get a reality check that it doesn't matter how good it looks to me. It doesn't matter how much of a blessing that it looks like to me. It doesn't matter how much of an opportunity uh, that it looks like to me. Uh, the problem is, is that all of my judgment has to do with me. I don't want to be in a place where everything looks good to me uh, and I've checked all of my boxes uh, and I've run it through all of my filters uh, and I start walking down a road uh, that God said, you never even listened to me. Uh, you never even considered my thoughts. Uh, you never even looked. Uh, somebody would argue, then why did God put both options in front of me if one of them is not his will and would kill me? Have you ever taken a test before and had multiple choice? Yes or no? Huh. No, I mean the test. <laughs> yes or no? The, the purpose of the test, the teacher never gives you the information during the test. The information you should have has already been given to you in the textbook. And now God wants to know, were you paying attention? And are you ready to apply what I've given you? I'm going to put both doors in front of you. And just because I don't say no doesn't mean I approve of them both. If you want to make a good decision, don't rely on your own perception. But get back to the textbook. Get back to my word. Get back to my principles. Because you're going to find that there are some things in this book that are contrary to the carnal mind. That work in opposite to the way of human thinking. And then you've got to decide, uh, am I going to do it my way uh, or am I going to do it God's way? Uh, am I going to listen to my heart uh, and my emotions uh, or am I going to say, God, uh, despite my emotions, uh, despite my thoughts, uh, despite my intelligence uh, and my education, uh, I want your will for my life.
Abraham, go take your son Isaac. Abraham's got a choice. Now what seems right to do? God said, thou shalt not kill. I'm not supposed to murder. And on top of that, this is my son. Well, that don't seem right. And you know what? I have this son because God blessed me with him. I wasn't even supposed to have a child. Surely God wouldn't give me a promise and then tell me to sacrifice it. That don't seem right. I mean, if you let your carnal mind, those neural pathways are excellent at finding a connection point and subverting truth. and, and find, They're not based and rooted in divinity. They're based and rooted in human carnality. Uh, and if you let your mind keep going, it will find a, a plausible reason to disobey. Because there's a way that seemeth right. And so Abraham could have said, ha, this doesn't seem right. He, he would start questioning the voice he heard. You dirty devil. But see, it was a test. I'm preaching to some people this morning. It was a test. God, see, he wasn't privy to the conversations God had been having with himself concerning Abraham. God said, I've got so much blessing I want to dump on him. I've got things I want to share with him. But, but, but I'm not sure if I could trust him yet. And so I'm going to put the ultimate thing in front of him to test him. I'm going to put something in front of him that his perception is going to say one thing, but my word and my will says another. And I'm not going to give him all the details. I'm not going to tell him that I've already got a ram caught in the thicket waiting on him. I'm not going to tell him that I really don't want him to kill his son. I just wanted to see the motive of his heart. And the only way I could test the motive of his heart was to see if he would obey me despite the gut feelings of his instinct as a father. You see, God's real tests will test every fiber of your being. It will put everything on the line. It'll test family ties. God will say, I want to see if I'm more important to them than their own family. I want to see if I mean more to them than the blessing I've given them. I want to see if I mean more to them uh, than the promise I put in there. God's test uh, will put everything on the line uh, to cause you uh, to come face to face uh, with the way that seemeth right unto you. The choice God will use. And so you have to have a commitment to the voice. Well, how do I hear God's voice? How do I get proper perception? Well, let me just break it down to you like this. The Bible says we walk by and not by. Okay, that's easy enough. Don't make decisions and walk down the road by sight. Don't let what you see be the determining factor of where you walk. We walk by and not by. Okay. 
But the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a dichotomy of revelation in that verse because we have two terms that deal with the tangible. It's substance and it's evidence. But then we have two terms that deal with the intangible, what is hoped for and what is not seen. And they both exist in the same text. That's where faith operates. Faith operates between the seen and the unseen. With one hand, faith holds on to what is seen. And on the other hand, holds on to the unseen, reconciling the two together. We walk by and not by. So then if we walk by faith and not by sight, that means I need more faith. If I'm going to walk down the right way, the, the right path, and I'm not going to walk according to I need faith. So how do I get that faith? So then faith cometh by and hearing by. Oh, y'all are getting it now. Faith comes by hearing. Well, I thought uh, that walking required the use of my ocular senses. You're going to walk without using your eyes, and instead you're going to use your ears. Uh-huh. Faith comes by. You don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing, by the way, oh, so some of y'all still ain't getting it. Then let me give it to you like this. The psalmist said it like this. Thy word is a. A lamp doesn't mean nothing unless you're using your eyes. But the writer said, thy word is a lamp. Oh, that means that illumination doesn't come from what I see. It comes from what I hear. Uh, God, I don't have to be able to see you uh, as long as I can hear you. You can fool the human eye, uh, but you're not going to fool the word that comes to my. See, when Esau came and tried to deceive his father, his father said what? He said, your, your skin feels like your brother's, but your voice, he should have listened to what he heard and not what he felt. That word is a lamp to my feet and a light. I don't need sight to illuminate the right path. You want to know how to know which path to go on? Right here. Let this word be what dictates the road. I don't care what your senses say. I don't care what seems right to you. Uh, I, come on, your heart will deceive you. Uh, your prior dispositions will deceive you. Well, I've been offended before, and you don't know what they did. Get yourself uh, out of your feelings. Uh, get yourself uh, out of your emotions. Uh, and get yourself uh, back in the word of God. Who am I preaching to this morning? And so we, we've got to trust God's word over our own perceptions. I said we've got to trust God's word over our own perceptions. I've used it. What time is it? How long have I been preaching? Thank you. I think I will. I've used this before, but indulge me again this morning. There are two types of, of flight rating that, that you can have when you learn how to fly a plane. The first one is what is known as VFR, visual flight rating. 
It means that you've been trained how to fly a plane based on the premise that you have visual contact with all of your surroundings at all times. It means that you have a clear view of the horizon and you have a clear view of buildings and landmarkers and other things and, and that you, you, you are using your sight as a guide to fly the airplane properly. But there is a second level of rating called IFR or instrument uh, rating, uh, instrument flight rating. I think that's what it's called. And what they do for you to be instrument rated is that they teach you how to trust the instruments more than you trust your senses. They are smart enough to understand that human senses can easily be confused, that the human senses can easily be deceived, and that once you lose vision, it is easy for you to have incorrect interpretation of information that will cause you to wreck the plane. And therefore, you need a more reliable source than your own eyes in order to keep from crashing the plane. And so they will literally take the pilots, and I think they call it flying under the hood. And they will literally, you have to have so many hours where they take you up in the airplane and they put a hood over you that keeps you from being able to see the windows. And the only thing you can look at is the instruments. And they teach you to shut off. All of those voices in your head and your heart and your mind telling you that you're going down when in fact the instrument rating says you're just right. Because if you ever get in a situation where a storm comes to you, if you ever get in a situation where the fog comes to you uh, and you can't see, uh, then you have to learn how to rely on the instruments uh, and not on your own perception. Uh, and so it is in living for God uh, that at some point in your walk with God, uh, you've got to graduate uh, from a visual rating Christian uh, to an instrument rated Christian. Uh, an instrument rated Christian has grown enough uh, to understand uh, that I, my human perception uh, is not reliable, uh, that my heart is deceitful, uh, that it's wicked above all things. Uh, a a, a instrument-related Christian understands uh, I've got to learn how to trust this book uh, and its principles uh, over my feelings, uh, over my hurt feelings, uh, over my bitter spirit, uh, over my confused mind. Uh, I've got to learn why. Uh, because there is a way uh, that seemeth uh, right uh, unto a man. I can already hear voices in this house saying, not me. You're already deceived. The fact that you believe that statement puts you in the danger zone. Because it means you have put complete reliance on your own ability. Not me. Listen, I could go to the store and buy a $5 magic trick that will deceive your eyes. You get a professional magician, he could stay up here for an hour completely deceiving your eyes and your perception. And you don't think you could get confused in the storms of life? There is a way that seemeth right. People don't consider the end 
We only look at the beginning. You look around and see people that have been disobedient to God. People that have backslid and you, you start to ponder, well, they, they seem like they're doing okay to me. Matter of fact, they got a better job than they had before. I mean, look at all the things happen. I mean, they must be a, and you'll start to ponder, well, maybe I just, maybe the decisions I've been making are just, maybe I don't have to live like this according to God's word. So maybe I should just, uh-uh, that's the way that seemeth right. Uh, you, you just haven't witnessed the end uh, of the road that they're walking. Sometimes the end of that road uh, is a year or two years or five years or ten years away. Uh, oh, come on, somebody. Uh, you've got to consider God's going to find out if you trust him or not, if you believe in his word. Just ask, just ask Lot. You see, Lot's scenario began with family conflict. Is this all right this morning? I'm closer to being done than you think I am. I don't have the voice from this week to jump and make you all shout from the chandelier, so y'all just need to just... His decisions started with influence that came from family conflict. Him and his uncle at odds and the herdsmen of the, their, their flocks were, were fighting amongst each other and finally got so tense that they said, you know what, we, we can't exist together any longer. But the difference in thought is Abraham said, you know what, I'm going to let God choose this for me. I'm going to let God guide and lead the way. God, I'm going to take my hands and, I, and I'm going to let you. But Lot, the Bible says that Lot saw. There it is. He saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. When he looked, he said, ah, opportunity. Ah, growth. Ah. Substance, ah, success. This must be what God said for me to do. It must be because there's a way that seemeth right. But the end of that road led to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Woo. Now, if you would have asked Lot in the beginning, hey, would you ever move to a place that had this and that? And If you knew you were going to lose your daughters in a fire and your wife was going to turn into a pillar of salt and you were going to be messed up, the rest, would you go down? Of course he wouldn't have gone down that road. But God has to have somebody that trusts him. God didn't reveal all that to him. God said, I'm going to find out what's going on in this young man's spirit. You are lineage to Abraham, the father of the faithful. You are the nephew. You have watched in living color an example set before you of somebody that will trust me and trust my word. And Lot, we're going to find out how you're living your life. But he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan and he couldn't resist. In the end of the road, at least two of his daughters, if not more, the Bible leaves some area there for question. At least two of his daughters burned in a fire with his sons-in-law. And his wife was turned into a pillar of salt. And he lost his family. Because there is a way that seemeth right. When they did the interview afterward and asked Lot, he said, oh yeah, it looked like the perfect opportunity. Oh, yeah, 
everything lined up and said, this is the way you should go. It all made perfect sense. But the Bible didn't say that Lot prayed and fasted to ask God what his will would be. The Bible doesn't say that he prayed and fasted and took godly counsel from his man of God. No. Lot saw, and that was good enough for him. <laughs> the way seemed right, but the end of that road. If you will depend on God's principles, the good shepherd will lead you in paths of righteousness. If you'll trust God, he'll lead you down roads that you won't have any regret when you get to the end of them. He'll lead you down roads that have real blessing. That other thing was an imitation because the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. <laughs> Music come. I'm, I'm heading to a close this morning. But we have to come to a place of complete surrender. There's probably nobody in this building who has escaped the knowledge of a person who is considered, arguably, by many to be the most iconic musician, artist, singer of all time. I said arguably because I share different uh, opinions. But there's probably nobody in this place that has not heard of Elvis Presley. To date, I haven't looked recently, he has sold more records than anybody that's ever been born. He's argued by most to have been the most influential person to change the music scene in human history. And it doesn't take much investigating to look and see that Elvis lived his life pursuing what seemed like opportunities. But I know firsthand that Elvis Presley knew the truth. He knew this apostolic truth. I personally know the preacher, the pastor, that got the phone call inviting him to come and teach Elvis Presley a Bible study. I know personally the pastor whom Elvis, who didn't, didn't know how to get into a church without the fanfare, but he would have his driver sometimes drive him to the parking lot of the church. And he would pull up behind the church building and they would crack the windows because Elvis wanted to hear the praise and the worship and the word coming from the building. Which road, which road are you going to walk down? God's setting before you another door. But Elvis, right after his untimely death, 1977, there was a song released just a few months after he died, a song that was recorded at one of his very last concerts, if not his very last concert. And the lyrics to his song said this. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. 
My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my cause or my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. Oh, and more, much more than this. I did it my way. Regrets? I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. I'm reading the pathos of people in this building today. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was a doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried, had my feel, my share of losing. And now, as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. God's speaking to some people in this building today. God's asking you how much further are you going to walk down the road doing it your way. I want us to stand all across this house. I want you to hear me as you, you're welcome to come to this altar as God is talking to you. I want you to listen to me. David had a plan in his heart that he wanted to build a temple for God. He said, here I am living in a palace. The presence of God dwells in tents. He said, wouldn't it be a great idea? Wouldn't it just be so good if I, if I built a temple for God to live in? I mean, doesn't that seem like the best thing to do? And he started talking to his confidants and his constituents, and everybody agreed. Oh, what a great idea. What, what, a, what an awesome idea to build a house for God. And, and surely that would be a noble thing because, you know, anything that you want to do for God automatically puts his stamp of approval on it. Well, I want to do it for God. So therefore, it can't be a no. And so David, read it when you get home, he goes running to the man of God. And he says, man of God, 
I've got this awesome idea. I want to do something for God. Oh, I'm so excited about it. I, I've already started saving up money and everything. I, uh, I, I got grandeur plan. There, there, there's, a, there's a danger that comes when we start making plans before God gives them to us. And we start walking down a road of emotions and commitments that we have not yet sought the face of God over. Oh, man of God, look at this. I mean, isn't this such a good idea? Wouldn't it be such a, a, an elevate? I mean, I could be such a blessing to the kingdom of God if I went and did this. And look what I would accomplish with, for generations to come. And my kids would have something greater than me. And it would elevate us generationally. And our I mean, woo-wee. And for a moment, the man of God got caught up with David. Wow, David, look at this. And I could see David saying, look, I even had my engineer drop some plans over here. Look at what, I, what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we could do this over here and this over there. And I got, I've got millions set aside. And we could build this and do this over here. And I, I could see the man of God for a moment getting caught up saying, wow, what an awesome idea. And before David leaves, he said, you know what, David? This is so incredible. Do all that is in thine This originated not in the mind of God. It seemed good. And so David gets excited. Woo! He runs and has a party that night. He starts planning, planning the groundbreaking ceremony. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, God wakes up the man of God and said, hold on a second. Nobody even talked to me about this. Nobody came and, and prayed. Nobody, nobody sought counsel, including the man of God in this situation. You're making all of these big plans, but I see something way beyond what you're looking at right here. All you can see is the excitement of this journey, but I'm thinking way down the road. And I'm telling you, if you want to please me, I don't care how good you think this is. You go and tell David, I said, no. Come knocking on David's door. David opens the door. I could see him saying, what a surprise. I didn't know you would show up tonight. Come on in. Woo, we're having a party. We're so excited, man. You showing up is going to be, they're going to be so excited to see you here. My God, come on. I got a place for you to sit at the head of the table. We're uh, David, hold, hold on a second, David. Could I speak to you outside? Well, sure. Come on, what, what are you so down and out about when there's so, so many exciting things to be excited about? I, I first want to apologize to you, David, that, you know, you came to talk to me and I got so caught up with you about what seemed to be so awesome. I didn't even take the time to consult with God. God has spoken to me and said that you cannot be pleasing to him and do this thing that you want to do. What are you going to do, David? What are you going to do, David? When everything inside of you dreamt and planned and you saved and you, you've even put it into motion, 
And you've already got the ball rolling, and this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And God steps in and says, I'm going to set before you another door. Choose you this day. Are you going to live your life based on your perceptions? Or are you going to surrender your will to my will? All hands lifted and eyes closed this morning. I know this is a little bit different altar call than you're used to. But the Holy Ghost is talking to some people in this building tonight. And somebody needs to get as close to this altar as you can. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to fall on the altar tonight, this morning, and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. God, don't let me live my life based on what seems good to me. Don't let me. Come on. As they begin to sing, somebody lift your voice. <laughs> lift your hands. <clears throat> begin to pray right now. God's talking to you, sir. God's talking to you, ma'am. Come on, how much, how much longer are you going to keep walking down that road and with your plans and your ideas and what seems right to you and, and ignore that God's got something different in mind? Come on, all over this house. All over this house, somebody needs to surrender to the voice of God. Somebody needs to surrender to the will of God in this sanctuary right now. Come on. Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. I'm telling somebody it's a test. It's a test. God's finding out what he really means to you. God's finding out if you mean what you say when you declare that he's Lord of your life. When you declare that he's king over your life. Come on. Come on, lift your voice. Oh, God. Come on, I know it seems. I know it seems like it's what you're supposed to do. I know it seems like the right thing. I know it looks good. I know it looks like an opportunity. I know the door looks good, but if you'll just trust God this morning. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. God, I give it to you this morning. I give it to you this morning. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Jesus, said I just Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on, somebody right now needs to surrender to God. Somebody right now needs to put it back in God's hand. Not my will, God. Not my will, God, but your will be done. Not my way, God, but your way. Come on, somebody right now. Come on, somebody. Jesus. Come on, somebody lift your voice. Come on, somebody pray this morning. I know, I know. I know you got plans for that guy. I know you got plans for him. I know you think, but, but what is God saying about it? What is God saying about it? Come on, I know. I know it looks good. And your family thinks it's a good idea. And, and your friends are, uh, are cheering you on. But, uh, but what about God this morning? What about the will of God? What about the voice of God? Come on. Come on, somebody. 